it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here with the Pink Elephant Podcast, and I have the guy that helped create this. He's the He was the instigator behind it. He's the reason that we actually do this. Um, Will Slicker is joining us. Thanks so much for, for jumping on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, second time's a charm. We'll figure it out. Hopefully, this is uh, not a third go around for us, but really appreciate you having me on the Pink Elephant. You know, I briefly just said there that you were the instigator. You kind of have a lot going on on your side. I'd love if you can give from Slick Talk Radio and Hospitality FM and all the different things that you have going on. Give those that are watching, listening a little insight into what's happening in your world. Yeah. So the quick, short version of it is I run a podcast network called Hospitality.fm. I personally have two shows that I host myself which is what kind of got me started into the whole world of podcasting and, you know, hospitality as a whole. But um, long story short, in 2018, I started Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, which you were my guest on. And we had such a, a killer time a couple of times, actually, on the show. And then I have a Monday live show, show called Good Morning Hospitality. And that's where we break down industry news trends. We go live Monday and we have a hotel crew every Wednesday. So kind of the mix and that's what spun into a big network long story short yeah i mean that was nice you've done that a few times obviously so <laughs> you started off though you worked in you worked in the hospitality industry right that was that was the yes. reason that you have this as kind of the foundation for it all um what what did you do you were on property front desk Yes, I was a front desk agent, my first ever hotel job uh, at the Davenport Grand in Spokane, Washington, autograph collection uh, under Marriott, had a blast there with 60,000 square foot of event space, 717 rooms, four restaurants, and I think that was about it. Yeah, there was, so there was a, a lot. A, you started off with a small little property just to get your feet yeah. wet with it. Yeah, 100%. And, I, my first day of checking in 600 people, I think that was my second day. My boss was like, hey, just just watch what I'm doing on the computer and talk to the people and I'll help. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Consider it done. So what is it? When did you realize that you wanted to transition working in hospitality and kind of seeing what was happening, I guess, with when you look at technology, podcasting, um, and, and that whole movement that was happening, when did you say that was a direction that you wanted to go in? Man, it's a hard one. Um, I kind of did the podcast out of boredom where I moved from Spokane, Washington to Seaside, Oregon. And I grew up as a kid every summer for about a week going to Seaside, Oregon and spending time with my family. So when I was kind of in a career rut at the property I was at, I loved the experience I was able to get, but all the management positions were pretty much locked in. Like no one was leaving anytime soon. And so to move up, it was so hard. So I was like, you know what? I loved the Oregon coast as a kid. Why don't I go manage out there and like build my career on the, the boutique side. And during that time I was alone living in a staff housing. And that's when I kind of got exposed to Gary Vee and Tony Robbins talking about po podcasting and, you know, talking about stuff that you love. And I was like, man, I love hotels. I love hospitality. I could do this, but I think I need to ask people questions because I'm too curious to just like 
pretend like I know everything, you know? Um, so that was kind of the, the initial idea. You mentioned Gary V and Tony Robbins. I mean, Gary V to this day, it just continues to crush with his presence of what's, you know, what he does online. Um, when, when did the transition happen for you of, Oh, this is fun. I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to people and ask questions and then it go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to not do anything else, but this, I'm going to quit the job and I'm going to find a way to financially make this a thing. When did that happen? And how hard was that? It was September 8th, 2019. And that's when I was made, made the conscious decision. I'm going to quit my job to do this full time. Before that, I was only doing it for about a year. I started the show March 18th of 2018. So kind of a, a, a pattern with the eight number. But when September hit, I remember that I had my first like initial sponsorship uh, inquiry where people were wanting to pay me basically to do the podcast. And I was like, okay, this is kind of sick. I didn't think about this route. I was just doing it for fun. It was more of a way for me to advance my career and to move up in management and to, you know, kind of create a personal, personal brand in the hotel space. And then December 27th, 2019 was my last day as a hotel manager. I gave my, my uh, boss a three week notice after that September 8th decision. And yeah, pretty much never looked back. Tell me that's not a uh, scary moment. Like the, the, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do it to actually do it. Like, I mean, is it not like, I mean, cause yeah. essentially you were saying, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's gotta be one of those things that is just overwhelming. Scariest, but most exciting day of my life was the next day, uh, December 28th, 2019, where I had nothing to do. I literally woke up and I was like, I don't have to go to the hotel. I don't have to inspect rooms. I don't have to check anybody in. I don't have to look at the revenue reports. And all that was going through my head was sink or swim, sink or swim, sink or swim. You have to make this. Like your parents literally have no idea what the hell you do. They're confused on how you make money. Um, you know, there's all these certain things that have kind of just popped up. And uh, yeah, but like literally, uh, I think I, I remember, and this might be something you could relate to or maybe have felt in the past, but I miss those days where I was so hungry that I just had a mentality of nothing will get in my way. I think now after it's been what, five, six years that it kind of, you kind of get comfortable and I miss those days. I miss the days where I was like, I woke up and I had nothing but the podcast on my mind, like obsession. I'm still obsessed just in a different way. I think it's changed over the years, but yeah, it was such a scary, but great day. Yeah. I think, I mean, as you talk about entrepreneurship, I think that's a part of um, the grind of, of doing that. And I think I've seen friends of mine that had companies and the companies at some point end up falling off or failing and they were highly successful at one point. And I think because it's easy to get stuck, um, in a little bit of complacency, um, you find just a teeny bit of success. And so you kind of sit back on that. Um, and I think at least for me, the constant, um, movement, the constant, um, grind of what's next, which I know, um, I know drives my other half crazy probably of, 
the like my weird obsession with like and, it, and the crazy part it's not that it's not enough right because you hear people say like oh you need to find happiness in where you're at and not it's not always something else because for me it has nothing to do with not being happy where i am it's the the feel and the need for constant improvement and and how are we continuing to grow i know the bigger that we get and the more we grow the more people i'm able to help the more people that we're able to pull either into our company, into our network, or the bigger our, our tentacles go out to touch others. And so for me, it's not a, a matter of, you know, losing the the intensity around what we're doing. It's the, it's the fact that I want more so we can do more, so we can help more. Um, and so I, I understand that that space you're talking about. How has the past five or six years um how has it been? How's that roller coaster been emotionally from there's a honeymoon phase, right? When um, you said that first day when you didn't have to wake up early yeah. and deal with the hotel stuff, and you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and then you get out of the honeymoon phase, and you're like, crap, I've got to like do something um, to make sure that there's revenue coming in, all these things. How has that roller coaster been for you over the past five or six years? It's been definitely, I think the best way to describe it is a roller coaster because there's so many ups and downs. And when I came in, it was just one show that one, I also didn't expect to have COVID happen just three or four months into it. So my first international trip and my first real business trip for the the podcast was to go to London. And that was when the border shut down. We went to full lockdown mode. So I'd like scramble to get home and I lost all revenue. I lost all guests. I lost everything in the matter of seconds. And I just remember like being one, very thankful that I was smart when I quit. I saved up a nest egg, made sure I had a little bit of money to get through like that type of that type of time. Um, but then I got activated for the National Guard to go do all the COVID stuff for like seven months. So then the podcast got put on pause, but then the podcast took off again during that time. Um, so I'm like trying to like covid test people in a hazmat suit and then like go record in my my hotel room like 30 <laughs> minutes later um you know there was just so many moments that you just didn't expect and i think the biggest thing for the last five or six years turning the podcast into a second podcast and then to, into a network the business behind it i didn't realize like there was so much more than just hopping on a pod talking to so and so for an hour calling it a day getting a sponsor like there's such a business behind it that really opened my eyes to like, holy crap, we have a lot more to build because it wasn't, it's not like you said, it's not just me anymore. There's more people involved. There's more voices. There's a real mission. There's a, a kind of a unpaved pathway, but the pathway is there. I can see it. So definitely a roller coaster to, to say, at least as I know you can attest to, as I've heard your entrepreneur journey multiple times, it's um, never what you expect. And I never even heard the word entrepreneur until I was like 21. So to go into this uh, a few years later was just a, such a baptism by fire, I think. You know, you said something in there that prompts me to want to ask the question of change and the fact that what you thought you were going to do on December 28th versus what you're doing in 2024, um, yeah. how drastically different has it has that evolution happened and was it because you along the way you realized oh i need to pivot here i need to change here i want to adjust here or was it more forced 
and realizing just the, the way the industry is changing, the way podcasting changing, how much of it was forced on you? How much was just the evolution of building a brand? I think it's kind of both. Uh, I could almost call it 50-50 because the forced part was obviously COVID going through all this change and then having to basically recoup all of that loss. And then the other part was, I'm like you, I want to get better all the time. I want to master the craft. I always, you know, I got a, a buddy of mine who actually literally just texted me um, the other day and goes like, I love that you are always a student of the art, right? Like you're, you're never not learning and trying to figure out how to do better and what other podcasts outside of our niche are doing, how the big ones are scaling to hundreds of millions of downloads. Like you're, you're watching YouTube, you're watching Spotify, like always observing this stuff. And so for me, I always want to get better, but then I think the circumstances of the industry changed. I was one of like five podcasts when I started. Now there's over, I can probably in our network, there's over 30 and outside of our network, I would say another 50 total, probably if you count other countries and languages and stuff like that. So there's, there's a big now kind of pool of, of shows and I capped myself out on revenue pretty early after I got through the COVID time, I was like, all right, I was making, you know, I probably don't know if I want to say this, but at the end of the day, I was making like 15 grand almost a month and just one show. And I was like, okay, I'm tapped out. I can't do more ads. I'm not going to have an ad every five minutes. So basically the network evolved from that kind of problem solving of, I have a ton of people that are trying to do the same thing that I am. I have a ton of brands that want to throw me the cash that I can't take. Why not bring them together and constantly, again, take my learnings, my improvements from my show and help others do the same thing and have that kind of ripple effect. So it was, I, if that answers your question, I would say 50-50 of it was, it was half that, half this. How much through this, um, as you've had, I mean, got over the past five years, countless number of guests on your shows. You've been on other people's shows. It's constant questioning and asking questions. How much do you think you've learned getting post working on property at a hotel to now five years later, talking to all these people in our industry? How much more do you think you know now than when you actually worked on property just because of what you've been exposed to? I think at a higher level, I know more, but still like there's something about learning on site with the, you know, the product in hand, right. With the guests, with the team, you can't like, you can't beat that. You just, there's no experience like it that you can yeah. come into the industry without doing that and be like, Oh, I know exactly what you've been through when it comes to turning over 700 rooms in a night. Like, yeah, totally works. Um, like it's, it's just not how it is, but I, I would say just the, ability to have it's like my own wikipedia or my own dictionary now is that anytime a listener contacts me on instagram or linkedin i could reference an episode or a guest or someone to introduce them to that has solved that problem or has been through something similar than maybe that i haven't and so to be i'm more of a connector now that's where i see like i'm a knowledge base i'm not the the expert i'm great at connecting and remembering where these resources are but at the end of the day, I, I haven't done what some of my guests have done. My guests are way cooler than I am, uh, you included. And just like, you know, I just have the happen to be the guy that asks the right question, hit the right time in the right audience, and hopefully can continue to ask the right questions moving forward. Yeah, I I don't know about the cool part, but I definitely <laughs> think that you <laughs> you're you um 
I'm your resources now just from doing this and being exposed. It has to have had an impact on you um, from a leadership perspective as you're building a brand and have people on your team now, um, as well as just changing, shifting to having that business mindset of thinking differently of how you do business. Um, and it's such a different, it's such a different uh, mindset you have to have when you're building a brand, owning a company and, and, and growing it versus working at an organization. Um, and I don't yeah. know that people that, that have ever done that can really comprehend and understand the difference and the way you, your decision-making processes and everything that you do is tr so drastically different from owning versus working at. And I'm sure that's played, had an impact on you just having access to people over the past five years. Definitely the access piece, it doesn't hurt, you know, like it always helps to have the right friend that can help you get to the next step or to solve the right problem. So I, I definitely say that, but also for me, I don't know if you've seen this with the amount of, cause like. You and I are both busy guys. You travel a lot more than I do, at least from what I see and what we always kind of joke about whenever you and I hop on a call is like, where are you at today, Chris? Like, what's going on? Um, but with that, like, there's so much information now at your fingertips. Sometimes I struggle with the understanding of like when to deploy the right like uh, resource or right connection. You know, like, I don't know. I feel like a chameleon sometimes. Sometimes I'm always shifting to be in the room or to be the person with this guest to meet them at this certain point to kind of extract the right question to steer the conversation, blah, 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 blah. That at the end of the day, I'm like, Oh dang, I like kind of don't feel like I have my own opinion. Sometimes I'm learning so much from these people and that's applying to my leadership style. But sometimes I, you know, haven't fully processed all the learning. So it just kind of gets jumbled. And for me, I need to get better. And what I'm kind of practicing throughout 2024 is the ability to compartmentalize this information properly, but still stick to the the Will Slicker's core, where I know that my truth or my leadership style or my blah, blah, blah is this certain way. But when I need to lean into what I've learned from my guests or from people in my network, people like you, people like other people I've had on the show, that's when I think I, I can get better at is when learning how to deploy that learning and that leadership style uh, rather than just sometimes coming straight off the podcast and like slacking the team, like all this stuff. I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? Am I just doing that because I just had a really awesome, exciting chat and that's what my takeaway was, or I don't know. So hopefully that makes sense, but yeah, kind of a mix of everything. Yeah. You're a bill. It's like reading a book, right? Um, I'm a, I'm big reader, constantly reading books and is every book that I read from start to finish great? No. But is there something that I can pull from each book that I go, this is relevant. It's something that I can really apply or do something with? Yes. And I think taking that same kind of approach with even dealing with guests or people you come in contact with or whoever's in your circle of, you know, not every single person I'm, I'm dealing with, everything they say is, is exactly the makes sense for me and, and our brand. But is there something that I can extract from it? Yeah, there probably is. How much have you seen in, in saying that your circle, um, ha, I guess a two-part question here. One, as your brands continue to grow and expand and, and find success, how much have you seen your circle either grow or shrink? And how have you found the importance of handpicking and selecting what your circle is, who your circle is? How important is that? 
Dang, hard hitter, hard hitter. Okay, so my answer may not be the most I maybe expected would be the answer or the 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 way to say it. I think my sh- my circle personally has gone in phases, and I think it's going to continue to go in phases. I think it's going to get big, and then it's going to shrink down because you find out who people are in certain scenarios, especially in our world. When you're having these conversations on a recorded line, getting to do all the stuff, it's media. People put on their best face. But when you get them in person or if you get them on another Zoom call another week later or whatever the scenario might be, you can start to see like when people are putting up a front and when they're not. And for me, that happens a little bit too often sometimes. I wish I was better at telling when the people you know, may not be as aligned with me as I am or uh, as I thought I was with them. And so I would say to answer the question on the circle piece, it's gone in phases, it goes up and down. It it grows and then it shrinks down to, as you discover people's true character. But I would say the importance of that circle, that tight group that you trust and can can call and to text and to to trust your inner thoughts and share your next steps and your moves and all the stuff that kind of goes into this world. That's the most vital. I would not be here today without that. I would not can't like, there's no if, ands or buts about the people that really do believe in you and support you and just take that chance. Right. Like I, I remember you telling me about when you lost everything and people were forgiving and they gave you that second chance. And I think that, you know, can happen in a lot of different ways. We can have it on an extreme lens or we can have it on the side that I kind of came in was I was young, excited, kind of new, but kind of knew how to articulate, you know, articulate a, a message of, of unity that a lot of people can get behind. And so for me, the inner circle just became so, so vital. And it still is today, like, especially with economic uncertainties and an election year. And we have you know, all these certain things that people are starting to see shift in the world and within the business world of yeah. podcasts and, you know, hospitality, venture capital, slowing down, private equity, consolidation, all the stuff like we can go on forever. But yeah, to, to answer that question, hopefully to tell you that the circle is so important um, without it, there is no this. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, I, my circle continues to get smaller. Um, weirdly the, the, you know, the more success you find, but, um, I I think the one thing you have to be careful with, and you, you mentioned, you alluded to this, um, is too many times you come in contact with people that, um, disappoint you Mm -hmm. that aren't what you thought they were. Um, you know, they're ethically, whatever it might be. Right. And you have to be careful because the more that happens, the more jaded you could become. Mm -hmm. And what I never want to be is a person that becomes so jaded that I refuse to see the heart of where people stand because my instant assumption is they're going to be someone to disappoint me. Um, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I almost want to always be a person that's okay with being disappointed because if I could find somebody that doesn't disappoint me, it outweighs uh, 10 of those disappointments. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I, I love finding a person who has that heart. I love finding a person who, who is that authentic, genuine. You're like, they're just a freaking good human. And you love being around those kind of people and, and the energy that they bring you. And 
um, the fact that it spurs my creativity and makes me yeah. want to push even harder. I never want to be a person that that gets so jaded by by people that I I lose my heart for others. If that if that makes sense, definitely makes sense. And to be honest, Chris, like as we're talking and you're saying all of that. I'm immediately thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've been that guy that's also disappointed people where they've listened to the pod. They met me at a conference and I'm a few drinks in or running around super busy and kind of frantic in the head and just trying to keep ahead, you know, keep ahead of schedule and probably blew by them faster than most people would in that situation. So, you know, like hundred percent, the ability to keep it open. And like you said, I'd rather be the one that gets disappointed than, pushes people off. I think we have such a, such a cool platform with either it's one show or a hundred shows to, to be in this position. Um, you do really get to be in a unique spot, to be honest. And especially in our industry, as you've already seen, you've talked about it, you know, people commenting on, uh, texting you, calling you mentioning at an event or, um, as you're traveling, like, Hey, I've listened to the pod, love this, love that. Like you have such a unique platform. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's, you know, it's like a, it's like Spider-Man, right? Like it's with great power comes great responsibility. And sometimes, you know, don't live up to that. And, uh, you know, other people don't live up to what we expect. And that's just kind of part of life. And we have to understand it could be in the moment. It could be whatever. There's so many circumstances that you can't really keep track of. Dude, that is such an amazing perspective um, that you just put there of never forgetting that you were, that person at one point that probably disappointed somebody. Um, and, and I think there's, there's the individuals you come in contact with that, um, that's, that wasn't their intent. That's not who their heart is, a circumstance, whatever, um, cause that versus those that you walk away going like, yeah, they're just not a good person. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what happened along the way within your life. I don't know who broke you when you were small, but oh my God, <laughs> you were just not a good human. There's two different people right there. That versus the person where, yeah, you know, maybe that's not who they are and making sure that we never, we never forget to look past the junk sometimes to see the heart um uh, of who those individuals are so that's a that's a really great point that you brought up what do you think um the industry is just in freaking chaos right now um and i i say that from a lot of angles right and i don't not of it's all it's not all bad um we're continuing to see the industry grow we're seeing from a hotel perspective there's more hotel hotel rooms coming online Every year is more and more. There comes a point where you're like, when does oversaturation start? Because there's there's only so many people versus versus rooms. Um, at the same time, when you look at our industry and what's happening on property, whether it's freestanding or in places like hotels, we see a decline in in labor. We don't have the same one. We don't have the same labor models that we used to have Two, We don't have the same workforce that we used to have, or at least access to those people. We find that the workforce that we do have now has a very different mindset. They think differently. The way they operate and work different is, is very different than it was in the past. Where do you think if you had that crystal ball in front of you, what would you say over the next five to 10 years that we should anticipate within the hospitality industry? What do you think is going to happen? Ooh. Damn, 
that's a, a good one. I, a lot of it's kind of happening today, but like you said, with the amount of rooms coming online, the amount of, you know, you got the Taylor Swift's heiress tour and all this other stuff happening, right? Like there's so many things that are going to continue to drive travel and traffic that I think the rooms piece will probably catch up. But um, from an industry standpoint, I'm really hoping we kind of, like as a front desk agent or a recovering front desk agent, as I like to say sometimes, is that I wish we and I hope we get rid of the front desk in the way of a barrier to opening up, I, I think, a better guest experience and probably a better team experience with this labor shortage. People, when I was 21 or 20 wanting to work at this hotel, wanted to work at it because it was, looked nice. I could wear a suit. I felt confident in the way I looked and presented myself and had a clientele that was kind of doing the same thing. That's very different than your courtyards, than your you know Hilton Garden Inns and your other ones that require a little bit more fizzazz to the clientele and the type of experience because it, it is not that level, right? Like my, you know, Marriott autograph collection versus a, a courtyard is a very different standard on operations and tech and guest experience. But I'm hoping that overall we get rid of the front desk. We create that kind of like Verizon wireless experience where you just walk in, someone grabs you and obviously make it a clear area, but then they're able to heavily rely on the technology to make it more easier for you as a guest and for that. You don't have to check in to get a a key. Why would I do that? You have your mobile phone, you have Bluetooth. Great. You should be able to check in with your phone. You should be able to use the same credit card that you booked instead of having to swipe it again at the front desk and have the same process that makes no sense to me in a lot of ways. Um, You should be able to have this open, honest conversation to pick. Do you want to check in without seeing people? Do you want to see people? Do you want to learn about the city? Do you want to learn about the property? And the the team should really be having that freedom control and that leadership kind of rise. So I don't know, I'm t- touching on a bunch of different things, but I think from a technology standpoint and a leadership standpoint, and even a property level of opening up that openness, uh, if that even makes sense, the openness to connect. Um, I think that should be the shift that the industry goes towards. I've, Remember, you know, the reason why I quit my job to go podcast full time wasn't just because I was making money, but I also remember my boss telling me, this is how we've done it for 20 years and this is how the industry is and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And being like, okay, well, this sucks. If this is how it's been for 20 years, why are you still here? This is horrible. The way you have to do your accounting, your taxes and your payroll and nightly rates and adjustments and all this other stuff. It was just insane. It was like, man, why haven't we solved this with the amount of money that flows in? So not to get on my high or be on my high horse too long. Hopefully I gave something good for us to talk about, but yeah, it's just kind of where I see things. From. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think that if you look at the industry as a whole, it couldn't be farther behind the curve in regards to technology. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. I don't know that there's another industry that's, that's, that's further back from what's relevant and happening. Um, I was recently, at a conference um and one of the topics and and breakout sessions was about ai and when i tell you like everyone in the room literally went from speaker introduction to robots are going to kill us all like i mean there was no gap in between like it was literally (laughs) 
welcome to the AI discussion to like, we're all going to die because they're going to take our jobs and kill us. Like I was like, holy crap. Like there's a, there's a, there's a big space in between there that we should probably have a discussion about. And I think, um, I, I, man, I hope and I pray as, um, in full transparency, our company has invested heavily into the technology AI piece. And, um, so we are banking on the fact that our industry has to progress and we have to find a way to use technology in a way that is benefiting our overall mission in, of our industry. And what I mean by that is I don't want any, I don't want a robot to come in and become our new bartenders or be our servers or the front desk agent. But here's what I know. I know that we don't have the same labor model that we used to have. And when I say labor model, what I mean for anyone that's listening is that if a hotel uh, 10 years ago had X number of rooms and we had 100 team members in total at that property, that exact same property today that has the exact same number of rooms and all attached to it might only have 50, 55 team members working at that property. And it's not necessarily because we can't find the other 50 that to work there. It's because the model that we're allowed to work from because of owners or whoever it is that that's running that hotel says, the more people that we don't have, the more money I could essentially put to the bottom line, which means I make more money, it helps me recover from COVID, whatever the reasoning is. But as a result, we now believe that you can execute this hotel with 50% less people than you used to have. That's our reality. And nothing's going to change that. We're, we're not going to wake up in three weeks after the, or after the election like, oh, my God, they're giving us all our old labor models back to operator hotels. That, that's not real life. All right. So for me, I go, I know I have a lesser labor model. Yet I know that we have data telling us that our guests are requiring a better experience. Our guests are telling us they have no issue spending money right now. They have no problem spending dollars um, within our hotels, whether it's for room rate or even food and beverage. But what they're saying is my dollar matters more. So I'll pay $37 for this item, but I want a $37 experience attached to that item if you want my $37. I'll pay $600 to stay at a courtyard. I want a $600 experience, okay? So if you look at it, You've got less people to do the job and a higher guest experience required from our guests. That is not a good model. Those two things don't align, which means that ultimately we're charging more, giving guests a lesser experience, right? That's that's the reality of our industry. If we don't take advantage of technology that says, how do I fill the gaps to where I'm not trying to take jobs away? I'm trying to fill the gap of the other 50 that no longer work here. So the 50 I do have can spend more time doing what's most important, which is focused on our guest and not back office crap that really our guests can care less about, but it's necessary to do the job. And so for us, it's how do we take technology, AI, and all these things to fill a void so the people that we do have in our hotels, one, can be more excited about their jobs because they're focused on the consumer. They're engaging them. They feel like they actually have a purpose in life, all those things. And that's my prayer of, of how our, we're going to see our industry start to transform over the next five to 10 years is using technology the right way. And I think your example of eliminating the front desk, and I always use Verizon, I use Apple. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. how is it that I can go into Apple and they, no matter where I'm at, they can check me out, run my credit card, whatever it is. I don't need to yep. go behind, you know, be at a desk. And so, man, I couldn't agree more with every, everything you said, obviously, as I went on a tangent myself. No. Well, like there's so much gold from that tangent where you mentioned like the back office. Let's talk about like, there's so many things I want to hit because the experience and capital uh, parity has finally leveled out where it used to be the other way around, where it was like higher experience, lower spend, or maybe, you know, whatever the, it would always kind of be toggled. Now it's like so level. And when you're talking about the back office crap, let's talk about things like night audit and all the other processes and all these things that kind of have to happen in order to turn over a hotel. No, it doesn't. This is such a waste of human capital that like you should not, like as an operator, you should not have to have a night audit person turn over the hotel. That's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like every, like I have vacation rentals and we have a, we have a PMS just like a hotel does. Guess what? Don't need night audit to turn over the hotel. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, so like there's so many things and with the amount of capital poured into this industry, especially on the technology side, I'm surprised that the UI and UX are trash. It's like 1995 windows dial up internet experiences on some of these softwares <laughs> that have billions of dollars put into them. And it's like, how can we not like this, that to me just doesn't add up. So I'm hundred percent with you. Like the back office crap, the technology that can barely keep up. Let's not even talk about AI. Let's talk about your check-in software or your PMS that looks like it's yeah. still on Microsoft windows. You know, like it, it's pretty bad. Well, I'm praying that look, and I think if you look at our industry and you look at even um, the money behind our industry, the hoteliers of 20 years ago are not today. It is a different world that we're living in. Our ownership groups are no longer really hotel ownership groups. A lot of them are, they're, uh, they're off Wall Street, they're, they're real estate companies, whatever it is. And it's an asset and that's all it is to them. Now that's, that's a, there's a pro and a con that the con is the fact that a lot of them don't understand hospitality. And the fact that 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 engagement with the guest is how you actually make money. And they're just looking at a bottom line and like, make me more money. So that, that's a con, right? The pro is I'm praying that that means that we will continue to evolve, that they understand technology and they're going to look at it and say, why are we doing this? And the old regime of, well, that's just how we've always done it, or that's the expectation that you should just have. At some point, this new own, these new ownership groups, the, the fresh blood coming into it is going to look at this and they go, man, I've, I've been investing in Apple and Verizon for the past 20 years. Why in God's name do you do, you do this? And at some point, someone's going to break the code. And the minute it happens, whoever's going to be that rogue group that does it, is going to flip the industry on its head and you're going to see a complete transition happen of everybody else following suit of what the new norm is. It's a matter of who's going to have, who's going to be brave enough and, and be willing to risk enough to force change. Um, and I think that we're at least coming into a time where there's the right people going into those types of positions for that to happen. I would we'll put it this way. You. We've yeah. invested so much money into it. I really pray that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we, we know that you are a praying man because the amount of times we're going to be praying for all this to come true is, is, is happening. But I do have a question for you, Chris, in the sense of I've seen a lot because I shifted from the hotel world into the vacation rental kind of short-term rental uh, market after my hotel life. 
and I've seen a lot of these guys go from, you know, 50 homes, 100 homes, 150 homes to now buying boutique hotels, applying that same technology and kind of operating system to the boutique hotel lifestyle, getting into this, having some pretty success, like pretty big successes and exits. And now getting into like, hey, we're going to start this portfolio, this group. I want my question to you, Chris, is more around, do you think we're going to see a bigger shift of this type of generation where they start on the lower barrier to entry, get into some real nice capital, nice exits, good cash flow, et cetera, go into the bigger projects and eventually become this younger, newer generation of hoteliers that come in and try to try to shift that model, as you just said. Yes and no. Um, yes, I think you're going to continue to see what you just described happen. I think the problem is, is that money is always king. And what I mean by that is, um, we live in a world now, and I can I can translate this from whether we're talking about hotels um, or even into the beverage industry. Um, I most people develop companies nowadays with an exit strategy in mind when they write their first business model, and because of that, are we going to allow it? Are we really going to allow this new hotelier to get to the to the point of what they really want to happen? before they get bought, before their exit strategy kicks in. Because the reality is the minute they have four, five, six of these boutique hotels that make enough noise in their neighborhood, someone's going to scoop them up and someone's going to walk in, whether it's a, a Marriott, a Hyatt, a Hilton, um, or a management company that's that might not that might be lesser known, but has deep pockets. The minute they walk up to you, Will, and they say, hey, I'd love to hand you $100 million for yours, for the, like, you're going to walk and yeah. you're going to do it with a smile on your face. And you're going to be like, man, I was going to remove all the, all the front desk at these. It was going to be super cool, but instead I'm going to go chill on a beach and play golf. And so I, I think, I do think we're going to continue to see more and more people get into the space. Um, I, I'm fearful that I don't know how fast we're going to be able to progress with some of their ideology simply because the more noise you make, the easier it is for someone to write you a check to walk to to walk away, um, and and so I don't have the crystal ball. I don't know the answer, but I see it happen a lot um, in a lot of industries where you have big ideas and you write this down on a piece of paper of how you're going to change the world, and you start making enough noise to where you start changing your neighborhood, and somebody comes in and strokes you a check because they love what you're doing and they want to forward it into their thing and you're like all right well there goes the world <laughs> um and so uh you know but hopefully along the way um we start continuing to see things progress um change and and alter our industry because um it's not a matter at this point of we hope things happen or man it'd be really cool to see it happen we're kind of at critical mass right now where it has to happen like we have to see things change. We have to see progression take place um, for us to continue on this path of guest expectations. We need to make more money. How do we do it? All those things. So I agree. I agree. My long winded answer for you. No, I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm always kind of curious to see what other sides or sectors are, are seeing. Cause I get, you know, just as siloed as anybody else, right? In my own world and mm -hmm. seeing what I see and the people that I talk to and blah, blah, blah. So just kind of always curious if you're, if you're seeing similar stuff on your side of the pond, not your side of the pond. But yeah. Of, it's just, there's, there's so much, 
Yeah, Palm. Sometime I'm spending a lot of time over there. So, um, yeah, we're seeing um, th- there's a lot of money going into the industry. Um, I just I really hope that we're continuing to funnel money into the right places um, versus we're seeing a lot of rooms. Right. We're seeing a lot. Of, what I mean by that is a lot of money being put in for development. Um, yeah. And, you know, 200 plus hotel is going to open this year within Merit's portfolio alone um, on the on the America side. Right. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, and compound that times global slash every other hotel group out there. It's an asset and people are making money off that, which is great. Um, but are we making sure that we're also have a group of people and and we're funneling money to the areas that are going to help continue to propel the industry um, and the, the heartbeat of the industry, what's happening on property, the operations side, which is typically where they don't get the money. You'll see a developer spend millions upon millions to, to build the asset. But then when it gets to the operations, you know, you can't get them to invest a hundred dollars in, in bar spoons um, yep. for the bartenders to do the job properly. And so it's a, it's a, it's a real, it's a struggle on on that, and so I'm hoping that we we start seeing money funneled to the right places. I'm also hoping we see different room types instead of cookie cutter boxes, where it's just like container on top of the container, bed, shower, desk, barely a desk, some kind of local art design that's been copied and hundred and pasted a thousand times in that whole city of hotels. Um, I, I'm excited for hopefully new property types, new new experiences behind it. I I think like a room is a room, right? Like no matter what, like people need the same thing out of that room. They're going to need a bed that's clean, comfortable, quiet, a shower, a place to put their stuff. And also maybe like a TV or Wi-Fi, like a little working station. But at the end of the day, I think we need to get creative with how that's displayed. I would love hotels to start playing. I've heard from a couple that have like podcast studios out of the event space because they don't sell enough meeting rooms. So they create like a little podcast studio there that you could use and a bunch of stuff. Like I, I want more of that creativity, but again, the asset owners may, may not agree. Well, well, I mean, look, it, everybody knows the owner makes their money in hotels on guest rooms and events. That's where your margins are. Um, it, it food and beverage for, for many years is an amenity. Um, they didn't even, in, it was, it was a loss um, on the PL, but it created enough fluff around it that hopefully you can drive rate. But I think that it, it, it'll be interesting to see because for many years, you know, all the big brands out there, they have full teams put together of what does the guest really want and what needs to change in our in our product to make sure that we're meeting the demands of our of what the consumer is telling us. The problem is the consumer is changing at such a rate now from what it used to be, right? You used to be able to do a model and that was our model for 15 plus years because that's what they wanted. Well, now it's almost yearly. It's what's new, what's different, what's different. And you saw a model happen where you started to see things like get the, the traditional desk in a room started getting eliminated because people are like, oh, we don't need that anymore. Now I'm wondering is actually, is it flipping and now people are, like no, actually, this is this is where I work. This is my. I yeah. mean, you, you've seen WeWork and, and the rest of those groups out there that did really well and then struggled, and 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 people are still trying to figure out how does that space work because there's a place for it. Um, 
is this the opportunity for hotels, which are already in existence and have these big open spaces in their lobbies to design slightly differently to merge those models together a little bit more? Almost Soho House has kind of done it a little bit. So people go work from there, um, you know, and that model. So it'll be interesting to see how fast the the um, hotel groups will be able to keep up with the trends. Because when you look at existing hotels that are out there, to get an owner to reinvest, to renovate, change, whatever, I mean, man, that model, it's not like it happens every year. You're talking 5, 10, 15 years sometimes before an owner invests to go in and renovate something to, to make it relevant. Well, when, when the consumer is changing the ask yearly almost, how are we going to keep up? with giving them what they want while still commanding the rates that we're commanding. And so it's going to be an interesting time to see how, how it all plays out for sure. Yeah. And it, you bring up a bunch of great points and even kind of memories from a conversation I had with Richard Valter from Muse and talking about this ever changing, like the, my biggest thing when I was a hotel front desk agent was we failed to look at the five blocks around us. I always remember these international groups coming in and you know groups from other cities and states like coming in and that was great, but we had a Starbucks in the lobby. We used all the same alcohols and beers that every other you know restaurant did and and yet we had the best brewery just right, right around the corner, great coffee roaster just around the corner and we never incorporated local authentic amenities, whether you want to call it coffee, beer, spirits, et cetera, that I think as you're talking about the trends, you know, we can bring in more local people on a more regular, frequent basis, not just for nightly stays, but the daily use piece. I think we can capitalize is undercapitalized because I think the traveler thinks of a hotel as like, Oh, a place I'll probably get, probably get talked to a thousand times for the front desk agent for not being a guest. And they're going to blah, blah, blah. Like, but I don't want to buy, you know, a ton of coffee and drinks they're going to go through that route um but it's such on such underutilized space that you know this kind of to me like you said i wonder if it'll ever catch up with the trends yeah. and the the way that you know investment owners can can deploy yeah and it's going to be you've got to get owners to understand that, that process and how it works and you know unfortunately if you look at food and beverage specifically in hotels um they they model everything vertically which is like based on occupancy will determine if we're successful or not versus horizontally that says I've got 15,000 people that live within a mile of me. I, yeah. I need less than 1% to show up every night, regardless yeah. of occupancy and we're slammed, but we don't do things. We don't do things and we don't model a business around doing it that way. And we, they say they do, and they talk about it pre-opening and like, oh my God, we're going to be busy. And, and, but we don't make choices and decisions that really lend ourselves to, to receiving that type of business. We price ourselves out of the market because for whatever reason, in hotels, we think we can be more expensive just because, yeah. um, and there's no patience, right? If I'm a freestanding restaurateur, I've got two things. One, I'm way, I'm way more scrappy than a hotel F and B operator. Cause I know if they don't show up, I don't eat. Yeah. And two, I have to come up with a plan, a strategy, and I've got to execute. I've got to go after it with everything I've got so I can pay my bills. And in hotels, they'll come up with a strategy of what they think they want to do. And you, you implement it. Um, 
And owners, if they don't see after the first 30, 60, 90 days that there's a line down the street of people banging on the door, well, Mm -hmm. it's failing. What are you going to do? Change it. Put a buffet in. Yep. You know, your margin, like, and so they, they flip the script and, and what does it turn into a traditional hotel operation where, you know, you've got one manager that's overseeing 17 different location outlets within your hotel. Um, you know, you, you have the, the server that's checking themselves out. You got one server for, you know, 27 tables, um, no host at the host stand because we've got a manager that can do that. Right. And yep. no bussers, no. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Why? Because, well, if we cut enough, I can show my percentages are better for the owners. So that makes everyone happy. Um, Let's not, you know, let's not ruffle, ruffle any feathers. And so it's just, it's a, it's a perpetuating cycle that you see in hotels over and over. Um, And to get owners to understand that there's patience involved in that, especially if you're doing it at an existing hotel where you're putting in a new concept, dude, You've got an entire community that's viewed your hotel as not relevant or it hasn't been a good place for the past 10 years, 15 years you've been there. And you think all of a sudden, because you you put $2 million for some new flooring in a chandelier that now people are just going to flock to your place. That's not how food and beverage works. You've got to change the mindset of a community. And that's that, that takes time, patience, um, and, and money, um, which no owner has any money to give you <laughs> towards it. They have zero patience and time because they need a result now. So it's a, yeah. it is a fun battle um, to say the least, but yeah, the first one to break that cycle is going to be the winner for sure. I agree. Well, dude, I can't thank you enough for hanging out, spending some time with us. Such it's, it's always very, I feel like we should do this more often um, and just have conversation. Um, yeah. around the industry and what's going on. Um, so we need to like figure out our calendars and just make it like a, a monthly thing or something. Um, 100%. We'll, we'll brand it. We'll call it something. Um, <laughs> but if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about your network, they're wanting to launch a podcast. I know you have vacation rentals as well. If people just want to pick your brain, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I love LinkedIn. So Will with one L slickers uh, on LinkedIn. Um, you can also email me will with one L at hospitality.fm. And if I'm not traveling or, you know, trying to recover from all the emails while traveling, then I'll get to, to people right away pretty quick. Man, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Will Slickers, Hospitality.fm, and so many other things you have going on. Appreciate you being on the show. You all know where you can find me, whether it's on social media at chrisadams.official, our website, ellisadamsgroup.com. Hit subscribe, talk to us, give us feedback, let us know who you want to see on the show uh, you know, individuals just like Will that can can give great insight into what we're all doing and, and the battle that we're all fighting every single day. We'll see you next week. It has been the Pink Elephant with Chris Adams.